0: This is the SHIFT Podcast. Today on the SHIFT Daily Podcast, forest fires impact every Canadian and Dr. Tara McGee, professor in the Faculty of Science at the University of Alberta, helps us understand the impact on people, not just on trees. Communities, people, before fires, during fires and after fires. We hear more about how fires displace communities and how we recover from those forest fires. Game Showy dives into Canada's greatest summer festivals for our trivia showdown. And are you okay with beekeeping? It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. The number one news story across Canada is fires in Alberta. And it is because it's setting a precedent for this year being very dry, plus uh, the forecast for the year, the El Nino and all those things are, it's going to be warmer anyway. And it's warm in BC, it's dry in Alberta, May long weekend, usually still dry, starts to rain in June, and it gets hot in the province I live in, but not for this many days in a row. This is, this is just one of those years that it's a little bit different. What's the impact of all this, though, on you and on me What is the impact on government? What is the impact on everybody around fires? That's what I wanna know, the mentality of it all. Professor, Faculty of Science, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, Tara McGee, uh, is here with us to help us understand. Hi, Tara, how are you? Hi. It's dry, it's hot, Um, it's uh, a lot of flames in Alberta. I'm sure you're watching that map, paying attention to it.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, Are you in Edmonton, Edmonton with the University of Alberta or where are you?
1: Yes, I'm located in Edmonton.
0: Have you, um, has it been smoky?
1: Interestingly enough, it it really hasn't been too smoky except for today. It started to get a bit more smoky. Um, We often have a lot of smoke from BC or further north. Um, But yeah, we've, we've been fortunate
0: so far um, here. I'm in Airdrie. So just outside Calgary and on Tuesday morning, woke up at eight o'clock in the morning to the smell of smoke in my house. That's always disconcerting for most people. They, 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 um, it's so concerning that it usually wakes you up and goes, wait a second. That's weird. Right? Like that's, that's one of those things that we don't often wake up to. Um, one of the things that I've always found, um, that when you're camping, It's always tough to go to sleep if that campfire smoke is around just because it's, it's a natural wake up thing. Um, I can't like, you can't see the sun here today. Like it's full on gray sky clouded over walk outside. I've been coughing and sneezing. My eyeballs hurt that kind of smoky here in Southern Alberta today. This is the first day we've seen smoke though. When smoke arrives, um, can you help us understand how that let's start with the people around fires that, um, that's, we're often, we hear of fires, we're like, oh, it's far away. And then the smoke arrives and the psychology sort of starts to change with that. What do you see there?
1: When people, I mean, of course, smoke travels a long distance away. So people a long way from fires um, will be impacted by smoke. Um, Fire from Alberta has traveled across the country. And, but if there are fires nearby, of course, seeing evidence of those fires, whether it's those obvious signs of smoke such as you know looking outside and looking at you know whether it's the sun or the moon and everything looks a different color sort of an orangey pink um, that then starts to make some people certainly um, concerned about how far away is the fire but also many people are sensitive to smoke. um, And so those can, knowing that it's becoming smoky can make people quite concerned about the health impacts associated with that.
0: Yeah, it definitely does get those who, um, you know, are susceptible to it breathing, people with breathing problems, whatever. Um, When I woke up, I I opened my eyes and I looked and the window in my bathroom is sort of a, a larger window and it was very, very yellow light. So I didn't even get out of bed. I guess you get kind of used to it. I was like, yeah, it's got to be the forest fires because, like, it's yellow in here. Everything does look different. That human dimension, though, of wildfire, of, of what's around it, when we're not involved with it, I, I don't know, you know, the stress, it, it brings stress. It does. It brings stress to people because all of a sudden now it becomes real.
1: It, very true. And so, I mean, we've heard about the fires and certainly the evacuations have been going on now for over a week. So we're we're all well aware of those occurring. Um but yeah once we start to see those visual cues, um you know the sky looks different, you look outside, the light is different. Um, that's when it becomes quite real for people. Um and and then they
0: yeah, as I said earlier, they start to become concerned about it. Yeah, yeah. amazing, uh, Tara. The um, are we ready for this stuff? Typically, I mean, it seems to me like we're just not. I mean, it feels like it's. There's two perspectives here. I think we as citizens. I mean, I don't have a go bag, um, and probably should. I mean, I'm I'm in the city. But I'm surrounded by prairie. So if there's a grass fire uh, of a crop or whatever, when it's dry, it's going to come ripping through quick. Um, And then at the same time, governments seem to really play forest fire bingo.
1: Generally, Canadians are not well prepared. That's weird
0: because we live in the forest, really.
1: Yeah it's interesting. Um, There have been national studies completed and um, for a variety of reasons, I think people in the Maritimes tend to be better prepared than everybody else. Here in Alberta and BC, I suspect we're starting to get better prepared. And by we, I mean, residents, but also communities, because they're you know it's very important for communities and community leadership to be prepared so that they have developed an evacuation plan so that they know what will happen if um, they need to evacuate um, or to take other actions as well and certainly the provincial government and federal government they all we all need to be prepared so it's everybody from individuals to communities and to different levels of government. So we all should be better prepared than we are, um, unfortunately, yeah.
0: Yeah, so here's what I've learned on this, uh, Tara. I mean, this environmental science thing is, is your jam, but the wildfire thing is everything that, that you study. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that so, it's so subjective about what's important. You have fires that are burning that are blowing smoke everywhere, that's a factor. You have fires that are burning in the middle of nowhere that are just burning. And that's all right because, you know, good for the forest and all the parts of the natural course of, of, of life. And then you have some infrastructure things, maybe pipelines, power lines, those kinds of things that might be in the uh, the track of a fire. So that changes perspective. Then you have it when it, you know, gets to more dense communities as opposed to just, you know, the odd house in the middle of nowhere. And I don't want to diminish that person's experience, but there is a difference when it's coming towards a community versus a house. And all of those things are going on in, in your world, your colleagues who study this, I'll put it in really simple terms, I guess, is that there must be an awful lot of face palms that go on because it's so subjective about priority when governments are looking at budgets too, because it's not cheap to fly these planes around to put out these fires that some people may or may not agree are necessary to burn or necessary to be put out. Is that a complicating factor in your world and all this?
1: It is. I mean, in terms of municipalities and governments higher up, um, certainly if you're thinking about a municipality city of Edmonton, for example, or, Calgary, or um, you name it, they have a lot of priorities that they have to deal with. Um, You know, public transit, other transportation, so many different things that they're looking at. So, being prepared for an event that may or may not happen, that uncertainty around whether, you know, they should spend a lot of money and effort getting prepared, it's always weighed up against their other priorities. Um, so, yeah, that is certainly a factor where there's so many different competing um, demands on governments that being prepared is one of them. And certainly for me as a researcher, but many people um, in the hazard field think it should be a very high priority. But of course, there are many other demands that um, yeah. need to the governments need to pay
0: attention to as well. There was a, we were camping in Penticton. It was a couple of summers ago. And that that fire that was down on, uh, I think it's Skaha, which is the South Lake. It was down on that East corner of Skaha. And so we went camping. We weren't sure if we were going to have to leave quickly and all those things, but we were in the town. So if we were going to the city of Penticton was leaving and um, you could see the glow on the other sides of the lake where the fire was there. Well, that particular campground in Penticton is right next to the airport and helicopters were flying, woke you up in the morning, they were flying all the time and they were, you know, out doing their thing. The most amazing thing to me was there was a couple of water bombers sitting there and they were just parked. And then, you know, we watched these fires for these days and, and it was a beautiful summer. The smoke was blowing other directions, all that stuff, but it was very active with the helicopters. Then all of a sudden, one day the water bombers fired up. And immediately you react, you go, oh, oh boy, something's going on. But it also makes you question, why aren't the water bombers putting out the fire over there? Because they were sitting there. And then the thing is, is that those water bombers didn't go to the fire that was on the other side of the lake, two minutes away from where they were. They took off, they turned left, they flew somewhere else. I watched it on the flight radar app. They flew about 45 minutes away, dropped a load of water, came back, landed and parked them again. And so it seems so, maybe it's expertise, I don't know, but it seems so subjective to me to have these fires burning around these cities and have those water bombers just sitting there and then they fly 45 minutes away, right? It's it, like, it, it seems complicated.
1: That's interesting. I mean, part of the issue around fire fires is, as you said early on, there are benefits associated with fires. There are ecological benefits. There are also fighting fire with fire. So if um, there are fires in an area, they can be strategically left to burn in order to help offer protection as well. So there can be many reasons why fires aren't immediately put out but monitored Um and check to make sure that obviously they're not going to impact, um, as you said, infrastructure as well as communities. And so so yeah, it is very complicated in terms of weighing up the um, the benefits of of a fire burning from mm-hmm. ecological and other reasons, but also the need to protect people and communities and infrastructure.
0: Is that because we we think of fire like we see it in the city? The house down the street's on fire, the fire trucks show up, they put it out, they leave. Like, is is that just the way we've been sort of conditioned to think about it? Is, and we don't think about it from all these other things? Plus, it's scary.
1: I think so. You know, honestly, when I arrived back in Canada in 2002 to start my job at the U of A, um, really at that time... I remember going to a conference and I said, oh, I'm interested in social science aspects of fire. And it was sort of this look of, oh, we don't really have, like, fire isn't a big issue in Canada. Of course, then we had 2003 and many subsequent fire years um, in Western Canada and, and beyond. But um, but But, yeah, it's...
0: It just seems so strange. Um, when I grew up, I was a young person in Port Alberni on Vancouver Island. And so we had the Mars Martin water bombers, the big ones. And so it was always an event when they took off, right? Um, again, expensive and all those things. What about after the fire? I mean, my sister lived in Fort McMurray. I grew up in Fort McMurray. She was in Fort McMurray when that fire happened. The photos looked like a war zone when they were trying to leave. That was a community that there was no gas. There was, uh, you couldn't get fuel to get out um, I had another friend who went north and got flown out. Um, they drove through the fire. They got they managed to get fuel about three hours away, but because they didn't have fuel in the car or in the truck, they took the car. And so here's uh, you know two grown children, two adults in a Mini Cooper, trying to stuff everything they can in the car because that was the most fuel efficient way out of the fire. When there it took a long time to be able to have a campfire and smell that smell and be around that from the trauma that comes after that, you talked about the social science of fires. Um what about after the fire?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, years after, well, the fire, but also the evacuation experience. So we found in our research um, with a variety of communities that, I mean, going through a fire experience, including often being evacuated, that's very traumatic. And so years later, um, we've interviewed people a few years after experiencing a fire and evacuation, and people break down crying because it was such a traumatic experience. And often they don't really um, recover from that it's sort of you know once people are back to the community it's a case of you know we want people to get back to normal and i'm using quotation marks there as quickly as possible but often there's a need for longer term support because of um, the psychosocial impacts of that event and and yes for sure when people no doubt communities that have been evacuated before in Alberta are having a difficult time right now, even though they're not necessarily evacuating, but just reliving that experience because of what Mm -hmm. else um, other communities evacuating, very stressful for people.
0: Uh, Tara McGee is our guest right now, uh, PhD, Faculty of Science, Earth and Atmospheric uh, Sciences, uh, U of A. I always think about indigenous communities, times like this, Fox Creek up north. I mean, that's kind of the whole get there by a barge, really uh, remote community, probably has a fire truck or at least a water truck with a pump. Like I'm I'm assuming that part, but most certainly does not have a water bomber. Uh, Most certainly does not have access to these things. How are you seeing these? There's two parts to this because First Nations communities are, they have a history of living in the woods, Right, But then we're probably seeing fires a little bit differently these days, and yet these communities are different too. So what are you seeing inside First Nations communities to make sure that um, these extremely remote places um, have at least access to get out, if not to protect themselves?
1: That's a very important question, actually. So First Nations um, in some provinces have, are fly-in only so they would then need help to be able to evacuate um here in alberta there are situations where um, people in communities need to evacuate by boat um or, or other ways and the other um complicating factor of course is one road in one, one road out yeah. which is also a major transportation. sometimes a winter road well. too right Yeah. um, I mean, in terms of resources for First Nations, one of the big issues that um, my colleague and I co-led the First Nations Wildfire Evacuation Partnership. And one of the things that was really interesting there was that many First Nations do not have um, a full time emergency management person within their community. So compared to cities, for example, which have, you know, a fire chief and several other people, hopefully, um, often it's someone who has another job, potentially two other jobs, who's also taking on the emergency management role. So if if First Nations and other Indigenous communities don't have that full-time person who will, who will really help with reducing the risk around their community, but also making sure that the community is well-prepared. Um, that's, yeah, that certainly can pose a lot of problems. Well,
0: that's a pretty scary notion, I would say. I mean, the thought of living in the with today's world, politics and internet, I don't know about you, but I would love to move to the woods um, and get away from the, the people. Um, but it is kind of, a, it's a scary notion to think that if that happens, you know, a sprinkler on your roof isn't really going to do much as, as we would sort of expect in today's world. I mean, that's a bulldozer that's, that's pouring through there. What's your biggest takeaway in this? Uh, you've spent an awful lot of time, Tara, looking at fires and, and and the impact of fire, the social impact of fire and all these things. So what's the, what's the biggest takeaway for you personally when you see all this stuff? What well, matters the most?
1: Well, that's a great question.
0: <laughs> it's big, I know. It's kind of broad, but I want it to really be a, a blank canvas for you. Uh, to you know, I don't want to lead it at all.
1: Um, I mean, I'm continuing to work with my team on um, First Nation wildfire evacuation research. That's something that my colleague and I started 10 years ago now. Um, produced a book to help communities become better prepared, um, working with host communities, so communities where evacuees end up staying for periods of time when they're evacuated, and also government agencies. Um, and there, there certainly have been some improvements, but I think there's still a need to do a lot more to make sure that um, Indigenous communities and others across the country are are better prepared in terms of um, being ready in case there is a fire, being able to get out, being able to stay with the community where the services and supports provided are appropriate and reduce um, trauma for the community, Um, whether it's appropriate accommodation, financial help, and making sure that people have things to do rather than sitting in their hotel room um, on their own. So there are many more improvements that need to be made. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, I'm planning to continue working in that for the foreseeable future.
0: When you look back at uh, some of those old treaties, um you know, those treaties back then, medicine was part of the conversation, although it was different. It was like a medicine kit, I think is how it's worded, but gets interpreted widely today as being access to medicine. You know, forest fires weren't talked about back then when some of those treaties were made either. So it really does need a new look of making sure communities are protected, Um, all communities in particular, those those remote ones there too. And so it's fascinating to me. And I think one good piece that does come out of it, and I don't know about you, Terry, I don't want to speak for you, but the humanity that comes out of it with people helping people is always, even though it's tragedy usually, it's encouraging. Uh, Just to get reminded that that humans are still doing human things, you know?
1: It is. You know, it's interesting. I conducted a survey shortly after evacuees left Fort Fort McMurray, and that was something that really came out strongly is just people – sharing stories of how people help them, whether it's people driving up and, you know, providing gas, food, water, uh, accommodation, all of that helping is something that we all do, but it certainly comes to the fore during these sorts of events. Um, You know, whether it's a stranger saying, you know, come and stay with us, we have accommodation, providing donations, lots of ways that people can help. So that's certainly um, something that that does come out quite strongly and also is, is very much appreciated by people who have to evacuate. They're going under a lot of stress, but seeing the support that's there for them um, certainly is something that is very meaningful.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Tara, thank you for this with the long weekend upon us. Uh, just a good reminder to follow all the rules and no matter what province you're in because let the example be dry and hot um it's going to be um it has been and looks like it's going to continue to be a difficult few days that's for sure if nothing else here in alberta thank you so much for sharing time appreciate you
1: thank you so much
0: tara mcgee is a phd university of alberta with forest fires and all the studies around the people and how it affects us this is the
1: shift podcast
0: It's time for Game Showy! It's a game show on the radio! Canada's favorite competition, right here, where we battle it out for pride and other things that probably don't matter. Here's your host of Game Showy, Ryan O'Donnell!
2: Oh, I thank you, Bob. Wonderful. It is time for Game Showy. Canada's favorite radio game show. Now, this is how this game works. If you're new, it's a trivia showdown between Kelsey Campbell and Shane Hewitt. Now, today's theme, in case you didn't, if you didn't realize, it's hot again in Canada, which means it's summer, which means that all of the festivals and other shows that we love to attend throughout the summer are about to start. So that's our theme, Summer Festivals Across Canada. Now, the questions and answers. How does that work? Well, let me tell you. I I just had a complete brain fart that I just Do you know?
3: What are we doing here?
2: Wow. Wow, my brain literally just went, no. Okay, let me try that again. You guys are going to pick a question and the difficulty of said question. That's what I was going to say. Now, No, I think we pick
3: a category and you tell us the question because we don't know the question. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you, yes,
3: you're
2: going oh, to <laughs> pick the difficulty of your question now today the points we're playing for you need to stay hydrated when you go to a festival so we are going to be playing for ten dollar water bottles ten dollar mm. water bottles so Expensive. one ten dollar water bottle would be an easy question and three ten dollar water bottles would be a very difficult one now if you get the question right you will
0: hear this Oh, I was doing something else.
2: Oh, Shane. You ready? Can you do it again? Do it again. If you get the question right, you'll hear this. Heck yeah. That's good, right? However, if it's wrong, you're going to hear this.
1: Summertime (laughs) sad.
2: Summertime (laughs) sad. You don't want to be sad in summertime. Don't be Lana Del Rey. Now, we have three categories. Here's the category part, Kelsey, that I usually get right. Three categories of questions to choose from. Mmm, food. Pop goes the culture. And go big or go home. Those are our three categories of questions. And we also have the text line special. That's a question for the Shift Heads and the Shift Heads alone. It's hidden in the show, and one lucky contestant will stumble across it and could win two $10 water, bo- $10 water bottles. I knew that was going to be something I would trip up. So uh, when we find the text line special, it's going to sound like this.
0: Sorry, I had a little Woo. premature textulation there.
2: No, actually, that was perfect. Well done. Perfect timing. Uh, uh, 877
0: is the number we're going to be texting to tonight, correct? Uh, 877-399-9898 is our text line for everybody.
2: Yes, fantastic. 877-399-9898. Get your phones ready, friends. Text the answer if you know it. Here it is. The Calgary Stampede is known for its midway food menu. Which of these items is not a real choice that you can get this year? Kool-Aid chicken burger, peanut butter pickle dog, a flaming hot dill cookie or dill pickle spicy sundae. Okay, again, which of those is not that. a real Stampede thing? I know there was a lot of pickle items this year: Kool-Aid chicken burger, peanut butter pickle dog, flaming hot dill cookie or dill pickle spicy sundae. Text it in if you know it, and that's it. We're ready to roll. <laughs>
0: we are ready to roll on game showy we're gonna battle it out for festivals and water that's way too expensive unless of course you're the capitalist selling the water and in that case they say you go champ bob
2: thanks bob uh who won last time i need to start writing this down we've been doing this for like a year and i forget it was
0: mother's day
2: it was Mother's Day, so Kelsey won, and 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 oh yeah, right, she mopped the floor with you. Hey, uh, hold oh, that on, is hold a terrible on. stereotype.
3: The way you just said it, th- oh, that was. what's that? no, <laughs> I, I was going to let's unpack that, out, but no, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but you just, you just saying like it's Mother's Day made it sound like you handed it to me. Nay, sir, I earned that victory. Mm-hmm. She
2: did, you she did, did. she earned know. it. Yeah, um, it and Shane was even nice in losing too which was a change Uh, so uh, Shane you did lose so you get to pick you get to go first where are we starting
0: Um, well I'm going to start with uh, something that works and not necessarily straight for the throat like Kelsey does here we're going to get moderately into this so I'm going to go for um, the category of pop goes the culture and two $10 water bottles for me please I'm on a budget okay here we go
2: what Canadian music festival made it onto Billboard Magazine's list for the top ten festivals in the world? The Ottawa Blues Fest, Montreal Jazz Fest, the Calgary
0: Stampede, or Oceaga? Um, I would say the most. Uh, see, but Stampede has lots of big names. But Blues Fest has a, such a long list of artists on so many stages that are so huge. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to go with the Blues Fest in the in the Ottawa, on Ottawa.
2: Well, you're not gonna have the summertime blues because that was the correct answer. Yes, Blues Fest made it. On the list, yeah. it's. Yes. Uh, I'm actually trying to go this year. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but it sees 300,000 people on La Breton Flats. It's got an amazing view of Ottawa. It's, it's an amazing lineup. And yeah, Stampede is more everything, whereas Blues Fest is full music, not all blues music as well, which is mm-hmm.
0: interesting marketing. It's, different. it's got, there you got go. different vibes, that's for sure.
2: It does. Uh, you got $20 worth of water bottles there. Well done, uh, Kelsey. All right. It's your
0: turn.
3: Well, seeing as I only know how to go big, and I don't typically go home, I shut the party down, I am going to go with the category of go big or go home, and I'm going to spend $30 on water bottles, please, Bob. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay, here we go. Oh, this is unfair. Oh, shoot,
3: I just gave one
2: Yeah, this isn't, okay, well, you probably know the answer to this question, because you because you're like you've lived across the country, but it is a bit tough if you don't know it. Kelsey Eight, was on
0: TV in this city, no, yeah. I mean, so okay. she knows the but, answer before I even asked me. Okay, well, just
2: gave me the answer. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's, she might have. Okay, anyway, so a fringe festival is an arts festival featuring alternative, experimental performances, plays, exhibitions. You name it. What city is home to the largest fringe festival in North America? Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, or Winnipeg?
3: There's one thing on the Toronto front. I was just talking to somebody from Toronto. We agreed if you've actually lived in Toronto, you know to say... Toronto with no second T, bit of a dead giveaway with that second T there. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, and also fun fact: I was on television in Dawson Creek, BC, uh, and so I was expecting there to be a Dawson answer in here. Oh, the
0: Fringe Festival in Dawson's pretty awesome. I heard.
3: (laughs) Uh, I've I've got to go with uh,
0: both plays are really good. (laughs) Edmonton, yeah, same star. (laughs) Edmonton.
2: is the guess (laughs) and and Edmonton is correct yes Edmonton has the biggest
0: Uh,
2: it's actually pretty huge in 2017 there was 130,000 tickets sold that's like 1.2 million dollars in box office sales 1500 artists in 220 shows it's the biggest on this continent so yeah well done Edmonton well done Alright, we, we got a tie game. Or sorry, no, that was that was three. Kelsey's in the lead with $30 worth of water bottles. Shane, right behind with 20
0: Yeah, it seems like my plan backfired um, there. I'm going to go with uh, Pop Goes the Culture again, except I'm mm-hmm. going to try to catch up here. Three. Okay. I'm really curious if you know this, Shane. I, you might,
2: but it's tough. I, okay? So I unlocked a core memory writing this question. So, the longest-running music festival in Canadian history was actually created on the radio in Brampton, Ontario. By
0: one of our and radio health. channels, by the way, exactly. if you really know Yes. Uh-huh. yes. Sounds like he uh, might know but, but, this one. <laughs>
2: yeah, he might know this one. I was going to talk about what station that was. But anyway, it ran from the 80s all the way till 2015 when it was discontinued. What was that festival called? Edge Fest? Well, okay, go ahead. Rock Radio. Cancon mm-hmm. or Toronto Summerfest?
0: I, I I heard the Cancon was a great festival. Um, yeah. uh, but yes, yeah, so that was Edgefest, friends. And that was like, that was the go on the trip for the summer. That was the show. The show and
2: the correct answer. Yes, Edgefest.
4: <laughs>
2: it was created nice. in 19, 1987 on CFNY FM. Our Edge buddy Alan T- Cross. Was yeah. helping out on that. They did it for the tenth anniversary, uh, for the uh, like for a they did it as part of like a Canada Day celebration. The first lineup that year was Blue Rodeo, The Pursuit of Happiness, Teenage Head, and The Saints. And uh, you could get tickets for a dollar and two cents at Pizza Hut. I uh, Sorry, at Pizza Pizza. And pizza there was twenty five
0: thousand people there at the very first one. That was amazing. It was such a good show. Power like, Radio. It was, it was amazing. It really Power was. Power Radio, man. Yeah, what a great channel, too. It still is, but what a great channel. They play a lot of those songs now, too, which is great from that era. It's nice. Yeah, super nice. Okay,
2: so Shane, you've got $50 worth of
0: of water bottles.
2: Kelsey has still got $30. you are still in this, so where are we going? Can we talk,
3: like, are there rules? Like, what is the decorum of this game? You're saying it was unfair that I went heavy and wanted to spend big money on water bottles here. But, like, so if you go for two, I'm just supposed to go for two? Is that what you're saying? No,
0: that's fine. You you just, that's fine. You just, you be you, Kelsey Campbell.
3: You, you know, I'm perpetually thirsty and we've got water on the line here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go after it. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. I want to keep my lead. So I'm going to go first time dipping into mm, food
2: hmm. Mm.
3: or, you know what? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play your way. I'm just going to be so nice because new style,
0: new, trying something out new. Hang on one sec. The the thing is, is that it's like, it's like sometimes if you're not sure that you're going to get all three points, right? You take a two pointer because then you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to secure myself two points, right? And so I'm like, eh, not sure about the category, guaranteeing two points versus risking three. That's, it's risk, it's risk management. It's what's happening here. And you are apparently risk averse. Mm.
3: Yeah, I'm a risk. Taker and also just like aggressive in general in every element of life. Um, Tony, toning it down though, because look, I'll just be Mrs. Nice Guy. (laughs) So, (laughs) food for I'm only going to spend twenty dollars, please. Two. Oh, you
2: want to tie this? Okay, you're playing it big. Okay, well, this could pay off or it could be an issue because you just stumbled across our tax line special. (laughs) There it is. So eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. 9898 Text in the answer. I'll give you one last shot. Here's your question, listeners. The Calgary Stampede is known for its crazy menus and, and vendors. Which of these items from the 2023 menu are not real? The Kool-Aid chicken burger, the peanut butter pickle hot dog, the Flamin' Hot Dill cookie, or the Dill Pickle Spicy Sundae? Uh, I'm gonna I, now, Kelsey. You which it doesn't matter what real? your answer is. I'm curious. What, what? Which one do you think is not real?
3: Are any of these? Things, do people buy these? My goodness, a, a Kool Aid burger is probably my thing because it seems to be a pickle mm-hmm. theme this year. I'm gonna say Kool Aid burger is not Can't, a thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Shane, you have any guesses? Uh, no, I don't. Because I was reading the text messages, and one, the particular one I liked was the peanut butter thingy.
2: <laughs> that's the thing so that is the unanimous response on the text line is the peanut butter pickle dog uh, Derek and Edmonton thanks for texting in we got a lot of people going for the peanut butter dill pickle dog and and I'm so sorry to say that that is a very incorrect answer because that is on the menu you could buy that
1: Ugh. oh that's so wrong
4: yeah
2: the, the one that was not real was also not the Kool-Aid chicken burger that's real the correct answer was dill pickle spicy sundae. That's not oh. that's not there. Or it could be. I don't know. It's the it's Calgary Stampede. I, I, if I find, it, find it on the street, I bet believe it. So I'm sorry, Kelsey. Your gamble did not pay off. That's incorrect. Johnny, it's Shane's turn. No,
3: this isn't even a gamble. That was I. I this was not. My, this is not how I play my game. Yeah. Shane here. This is not Call how I play lawyer. my game.
2: Call your lawyer. <sighs> we did get
0: another text. <sighs> text that, we did get another text that said, "There's no way Demi would give Shane any leeway anyway. So why should Kelsey?" <laughs> Mm. So there you go all right well okay now i don't because that's a text line special i don't get to try to guess the answer that's the way the rules go um and i don't get to try to claim your points so i'm going to uh i guess i'm gonna have to take three ten dollar water bottles under mm, okay now here
2: this is the thing though if shane gets this right he'll seal the deal but if he gets it wrong kelsey will have five seconds to steal the answer and could tie it Okay, so here's the question. Shane, in 2010, Ipsos asked Canadians what their favorite summer food was. What came out on top? What was the most popular summer meal in Canada?
0: Mm -hmm. Steak, Mm -hmm. burgers, Mm -hmm. hot dogs, or corn on the cob? Okay, 2010. The economics in 2010 weren't great. (laughs) Nope. Uh um, so, uh, apparently the internet only goes back so far here. And so what came out on top? If it was a hot dog, Ryan would put ketchup on it. If it was a mm-hmm. burger, Ryan would put ketchup on it. If it was corn yep. on the cob, Ryan would probably put ketchup on it. No. And if it was a steak, I'm guessing Ryan would probably put, um, like H1 sauce and ketchup on it. So <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go budget on this one. I'm actually going to yeah. go with. I'm going to go with the the burgers. I'm going to go with the um, burgers. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the burgers. Yeah, the the uh, burger the burger de jambon. Uh,
2: that is uh, incorrect. It's not burgers. No. Uh. Kelsey, you have five seconds to steal if you know the answer. Tick. To- I'm uh, going the other way.
3: Uh, oh. uh, steak, 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 steak. Money, is... Steak summertime steak. Let,
2: let me ask you, Kelsey, how do you, how do you how do you take your steak? How do you take it with ketchup?
3: Uh, I've with with age, I've been able to go more and more rare. So medium okay. rare, more rare. But we well, started we just, out wanting it cooked to death to be sure that there wasn't death? like a drop what? of blood. Yeah. Huh.
2: Well, we this is a rare situation because we have a tie. That is the correct answer. Look oh. at that. Oh, that is it. It was steak. Well, we can do one more Northern question burgers. as long as we
0: hurry. Sorry, buddy. Didn't yep. mean to interrupt you.
2: No, it's okay. Kelsey, it's your turn. So you could seal the deal here. But again, if you get it wrong, Shane could steal. So it's up. Whoever gets the next question right wins. Kelsey. Okay. Three categories.
3: Left. Mm, food. Pop goes the culture. Go big or go home.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, do
3: I go easy just to win? Okay, you're right. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go. I just need to win by one. I just need to win by one. No, I want to put your face in the dirt. I'm going to water (laughs) bottles. Go big or go home.
2: Okay. Okay. Kelsey, it's a pretty simple question. What is the largest music festival in Canada? The Quebec City Summer Festival, Way Home in Toronto, Shambhala in the middle of nowhere, B.C., or the Calgary Stampede?
0: It's in the forest.
3: Shambhala?
2: It is not Shambhala. That is incorrect.
3: It's the only one I knew. It was, and Stampede isn't a music festival.
0: Yeah, her, her question. Yeah, <laughs> so Shane. Uh, it would be the summer festival in Quebec, uh, the
2: Festival des T's de Quebec. And that is the correct answer. Yes. Yes, it is the Quebec City Summer Festival. Yes. I've been. I saw Metallica there. 120,000 people seeing Metallica. It was wild. Over 1.2 million people go to that festival every year, over 11 days, and it is still the biggest in the country. Been going on since for a very long time.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: Sorry, Kelsey. There so it was is. Good
0: so many regrets.
2: Good one. Our
0: winner is me. <laughs> me. Me, 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 me. You know who our winner is not? Kelsey Campbell. (laughs) 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 Spicy. Don't forget to get your pants sweet or neutered. Thanks for playing along with Game Showy.
2: This is the Shift Podcast. Are you are you Are you you, Okay? Okay.
0: Okay. Are you okay with is quite simple. We have stories. You have a text line, 877-399-9898. You can let us know your thoughts on any of the things that we are chatting about here on Are You Okay With Ryan? Y'all set to go there, big fella? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so let's get started with uh, our our very first story here, which is Are You Okay With... Beekeeping. Bees. I love bees and
2: I would love the opportunity to keep some of them. I think it's really cool because you can legally believe in Calgary for sure. You can have some bees in your backyard. Uh, You can like have a hive. They're not that expensive to buy a hive and you can just have your own honey. And they're, they're, they're amazing creatures. Like we depend on them so much. And I, uh, I, I love bees. However, I've never been stung by one ever, and I feel like before I can become a beekeeper, I must be stung because I need to decide if I'm willing to
0: take that risk again. You know, you know what I mean? Um, not really. No, because I think you should not be stung ever. <laughs> well, that's the thing,
2: right? That's that's why I'm not a beekeeper is because I don't want to be stung. So right. it's never, you know,
0: knock on wood, it's never happened. And you Beez never know. Be right. Bees are people yeah. too. Um now they are they are the canary in the coal mine of ecosystem, right? That's so incredibly important. And I saw the I saw a Bumblebee, my first bumblebee of the year this year, and it was huge. It was like as big as a quarter. He was a chubbo, is what a he, was. A he was. he was. He was an absolute potato of a bumblebee. You know when they say that somebody, the only person who doesn't know that they're supposed to not fly is a bumblebee because all the physics say they're not supposed to be able to fly, but nobody told them? And so they just do it anyway, yep. Yeah, and so I totally butchered that, but you get the point. And I get you, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Uh, but yes, this potato flew by my head, and he was cute and fuzzy and awesome. So, salute you, Mr. Fat Bee Man. I mean, oh, yeah. he looked like he like he looked like he was going into hibernation. He was that chubbo, like that's how big he was. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't look like he was coming out. Okay, uh, bees are friendly, fuzzy uh, potatoes of a bug, until they're not. Los Angeles Police Department volunteer is on the mend after recovering in the hospital after he was attacked by a swarm of bees. According to KTLA, the volunteer identified only as Gary. Oh, Gary was stung anywhere from 50 to 100 times as he tried to help with the traffic control in a residential neighborhood that was actively being terrorized by a swarm of aggressive bees, and all of it was caught on camera.
4: You can see as he tries to swat them away from his face over and over again. It causes him to lose his balance. He gets back up, unfortunately bloodied, but is eventually treated by firefighters.
3: There is like a cloud of hundreds of bees over there.
1: I said, oh boy, this is gonna, that's why right away I put my gear on because I can see them, they're mad as could be.
4: LA City Fire confirmed two people, including the volunteer officer, were taken to the hospital after being attacked by the swarm just before 4 p.m. Monday. Neighbor Jerry Spots was outside when he says he saw a delivery driver being attacked.
0: Came to the door, the UPS guy was being swarmed and he started saying, you know, run bees and I got hit right in the lip.
4: A bee removal company that showed up after the attack believed the bees originated from a hive near the roof of this home on Adlon Road in Encino. You can see as they swarmed workers. This is not a normal behavior for these bees to be this angry. want to kill you. This is not okay.
0: Gary. (laughs) Gary, no. They were mad as could be. That's pretty mad. (laughs) Uh, Angry bees, not good. Now, Gary remains in stable condition, bloodied. His friend very worried about him. Uh, Tuesday night is when this last report came in, but the impact of the hard fall left him with broken bones in his face. Yikes. Uh, He needs to cover his own medical expenses because he's a volunteer, and they must sign a waiver. They're not covered by the city in situations like this. (laughs) Thanks for pitching in, Gare, on behalf of L.A. I think you
2: can expect to see a sharp decline in volunteer uh, traffic uh, police. Well, and they say that. that they're, they're like,
0: you know what? We wish that people, we wish more people would show up. We wish more people would help out in their community. Uh, just don't fall on your face and uh, hit your face with the bees, Gary, because uh, you're on your own. We kind of moved from L.A. to Fargo there. Sorry about that. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise Gary. Eh?
2: Oh, and then we just moved up to Northern Ontario. Sorry about that. Like Let's go like, back oh down. God, like I feel like be like, oh my
0: God, Biza. There's like Biza on I feel like there's more like that. That's more right. Cali. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's a little bit more Valley. Okay. Uh, are you okay with twins?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I've, I, I don't I haven't really met many you know I don't oh. really have.
0: Anyone you know who has a twin that you don't know he has a
2: twin. Who? Sylvain Charlebois. Sylvain Charlebois has a twin. He does. He like has an fraternal identical twin. or like a like a like a an actual no, like. Or an actual twin?
0: twin way to just absolutely insult everyone who's not like identical. I know. I did. I just like, did Oh, you're not an actual twin. You just lived side by side like roommates. Cause for I've a heard while.
2: from I because I've heard from people who are identical twins that that's how they view people who are fraternal twins. But oh. the connection, like that, you know, so called, like you know, they could sense things about each other. That seems to go for both fraternal and identical. Mm-hmm. So. Look, uh, there's something about it that I just don't understand. And it, I'm on the polar opposite of the spectrum. If you put my brother and I beside each other, you mm-hmm. would never suspect that we are brothers. We look completely really? different. We have different physical traits, different hair. I got the chin. He got the height. That's just the really way he went. That's no. amazing.
0: Uh so does say that they look exactly alike. They just have different, very different style, though. So, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, side note. Okay, twins. Uh, twins are great, uh, which is awesome if you like them. I mean, if yeah, they're nice. Like, I, I don't think you really have like one twin that's like, "Hey, you're cool, Gary, with your broken face and bee stings." And then like Gary's twin, you're like, "Ah, yeah, Gary's brother. He's uh, he's not so good. He's not cool." Uh, Gary's twin uh, from the valley. Anyway. Uh, I feel like this is inappropriate, but I'll read it because Ryan wrote it. Twins are a handful. How about a pair of twins all at once? Also inappropriate. An Alabama couple. (laughs) You went there. I didn't. You went there. You went to the value of that. I didn't. No, I I did. So, okay. um, We're talking about twins, a pair of twins, a handful of twins, in fact, in Alabama. An Alabama couple had four healthy babies together, arriving as two sets. Of identical twins. Oof, those could be tired parents. That is a one in 70 million chance. Coincidentally, 70 million is probably how much is going to cost to feed them.
4: Hannah delivered the Carmack Quad via C-section. By midnight, baby Evelyn led her siblings out. Following behind was David, Daniel, then Adeline all healthy
2: right now it's 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 incredible to watch all the milestones being broken
4: right now the carmax home is perfect for michael hannah and their eight-year-old daughter emily but now
2: as the babies are getting closer and closer to coming it's like how
4: are we gonna do this Uh, so um yeah very stressful
3: but uh i know that lord's gonna work it out
4: and while the lord works it out the carmax have accepted their new mission i mean it's still early but are y'all done after this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we're done.
0: <laughs> How exactly are we going to do this? Well, dad should have thought of that before the tequila. Uh, that's from WMTV, by the way, in Alabama. Now, the Carmack family is looking for a little help already when it comes to remodeling their house. What about Eight months ago, there pops for welcoming their new additions home. The couple has an eight-year-old daughter already, and with the babies expected to leave the hospital soon, they have started a GoFundMe to help with the cost of the remodel. I don't. Okay, I might sound mean for this. I don't think that is worthy
2: of a GoFundMe. It's like it's a. It's you're not in like in you're you're in need of help, but this was your choice. And then the surprise happens, and then you got to make some changes in life. But, like, to ask, hey, sorry, so we're having four kids. We could really use the help. Do you know how many people have raised too many children without asking for a GoFundMe page? (laughs) You you know
0: what I mean? You're going to be a good dad one day. It's great. God, I hope so. I like this. Well done. Um, Okay, cool. Well, I would say that you already have three kids. You're having four more. Uh, That one's on you. And... um, Time to call your Uncle Bob, the rich uncle, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's jump ahead. One little story here on this one and go with this. Are you okay with climbing a tree? Um, I've never.
2: Oh, no, no, that's a lie. I have. Okay. Well, I have climbed a tree. You actually that didn't say anything. Just so you know.
0: Yeah. You didn't. What? Whatever's going on in your head, you're not actually saying it out loud, right? Just so you know, like, we yeah, didn't yeah, hear... Yeah, I'm aware of that. Well, okay. I, I caught
2: myself because I was going to say... didn't lie
0: to us, anyway.
2: I, I kind of lie because I have technically climbed a tree, but it had, like, fake steps nailed into it to help you get no, to they the were, top. No,
0: they were real steps, actually.
2: No, 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 no. Somebody took, like, old baseboards and nailed yeah. them
0: into the tree to make them into steps. Yeah, but that, that makes them steps, not fake steps.
2: But they're, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay. like saying let's have a virtual zoom call like you can't have a virtual zoom call you're having a virtual meeting because uh-huh. you're doing it virtually but you can't have a virtual zoom call because that would mean you need some sort of fake version of a uh-huh anyway yep yeah I it's hear not you. climbing a tree that bothers me it's gravity that's really what it boils down to yes right it's just gravity i mean gravity is awesome but sometimes problematic like when you're in a tree, and. And you use you, you're looking for a fake step and you miss it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what gravity is really terrible. <laughs> anyway, move on. Uh, we've all heard about a cat stuck in a tree, but what about a bear? And it happened in Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? <laughs> Florida straight through
4: <laughs>
0: nice. So, how do you get a bear from a tree in the middle of Florida? Well, my friends, grab your popcorn and snuggle up to that radio, because we're about to find out.
4: All right, we're back to Florida. bear who spent hours in a tree is finally back on the ground after being spotted in the tree near a Red Lobster. Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officials and officers held a tarp under the tree while someone fired tranquilizer darts at the bear with a group hoping to catch its fall. One of the tranquilizer darts hit the bear, but then it climbed even higher, and the bear eventually climbed back down where wildlife officials were waiting.
0: There was a bear in a tree, and then the bear solved the problem. Very good. (laughs) Well done. Yes. (laughs) this is news on the shift Uh, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission said the bear had been dispersing and trying to leave the area just going in the wrong direction Yeah, can't blame him really at all thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca